All right, so welcome to the Daily Reformation is the name that I think we're going to call this podcast. At least uh, for now. Yeah, I'm Wilson, and this is Connor. Connor, int- introduce yourself. Um, Talk about your, your church background, things of that nature. <laughs> all right, sounds fun. Um, I'm Connor O'Shields. I, um, currently, right now, I am a criminal justice major and a Christian studies minor. And I grew up in a Southern Baptist church pretty much my entire life. My dad is a Southern Baptist pastor, although he is pretty much Reformed Baptist, but he's always preached at a Southern Baptist church. Um, We originally went to church in Easley. My dad was called to pastor a church uh, locally in the TR area, has since left and is now pastoring a church in Easley. And pretty much the entire time I was raised Southern Baptist and pretty much always been reformed because of, because of my dad's uh, theological upbringing. So um, I never really had a huge adjustment to reformed theology. I just kind of accepted it, mm. which is a very different story from most people who've come to accept reformed theology. Mm. All right, Wilson. All right, yes. Uh, well, I uh, mine is not quite as simple as that is how I came to reformed theology, but I was born into a Lutheran church um, and... Uh, I didn't. I was not really introduced to Reformed theology until I was probably in about middle school. But I left the ELCA, is the denomination I was a part of, uh, because my grandpa was a Lutheran pastor. My mom was raised a Presbyterian in the PCA, and uh, I ended up going to a Baptist church, a bigger Baptist church, and uh, it was great uh, at the time. A, a non-Reformed Baptist church, and I made many. Uh, wonderful friends there, but uh, I was introduced, really, I'd say, to Reformed theology by my grandpa, who is a Presbyterian and a big fan of R.C. Sproul, who is one of my favorite pastors slash theologians. Um, but uh, I stayed in the, the the Baptist church up until recently. I've been a Reformed Baptist and recently become a Presbyterian Pado Baptist as as. Uh, my my brothers on this Baptist campus do not like, but but <laughs> but I, am, I I've become complete in my reformed training. I think I'm just kidding, <laughs> but uh, I am now attending a PCA church and I'm planning on becoming a member of that church. But I came to reformed theology. I already I always had a uh, idea of what predestination was, but I really did not. I was not introduced to the entirety of Reformed theology until I came to college. Um, but that's kind of my story. Um, Connor, who is your favorite theologian and who has been the most influential to you? For me, it was definitely uh, John Calvin, definitely mm. my favorite. Um, when I started getting more into theology and when I came to college, <laughs> my dad recommended me to sit down and read The Institutes, which is a huge book, but my dad was like, it's one of the best some people wouldn't call it a systematic theology. I personally think I would, mm-hmm. but he called it one of the best systematic theologies. And I uh, sat down and read it. It w- was really difficult to understand, but I really learned a lot. Um, but he's definitely my favorite theologian. I think that he was probably one of the best expositors of the mm. Bible ever to yep. live. Um, a, a, the a man was a genius. For sure. yep. <laughs> and um, I really enjoyed how he pretty much systematized things. And he... Um, is had a really good way of explaining things and pointing out 
stuff in the scripture that just really makes you think and he's definitely probably my favorite theologian mm. would you say that the institutes has probably been the most influential book you've read you besides think? the bible probably <laughs> well I, yes yeah. of course of course the bible is is obviously the most influential yeah um probably so um uh, there's definitely been another number of in, of influential books in my life um, another one of my favorite authors is james white if you're familiar with some mm-hmm. of his stuff i am but, i am familiar yeah. Yep. And then yours, I think. I, th- I think I, I could guess. Yes, your yes. My, I, well, I would say, I would say my favorite um, theologian, um, based on church history, would be Martin Luther. Especially, you know, I identify with Luther in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, I was a Lutheran at one point in my life, but that's a very loose term at this this point. I don't think Luther would be very happy, uh, at least with the Lutheran Church in America as it is, and evangelicalism. Um, but I think I can really identify with Luther in the fact that, you know, he, um, he was utterly born again through his reading of the word. And it felt like some of the things that he'd learned growing up weren't necessarily true. And, uh, I feel like that I've learned kind of the same way, but you can almost identify with Luther, um, because you can see his entire life and how it played out. Whereas with the other, um, theologians and church history figures there's not as much of a well maybe with Augustine and some of the others you can kind of see how their life was changed um, through things but yeah, especially uh, if you read the confessions right very um, I have changed. not had a chance to read it but I would Me love too. to it's great. But, but I would say besides Luther my my favorite um, author would be R.C. Sproul has been the most influential to me but anyway today we've been enjoyed a a snow day here. We're both yeah, a snow day for students. like a good like total of two hours. Yes. Oh, also, I'm a Christian studies major. I left that part out. I'm Christian studies, and Connor already introduced his major and things. But uh, but we're both looking at at seminaries right now, going to tour and things like that. But uh, I think today we're just going to concentrate on some uh, issues that we feel are the the most problematic for the church today uh, and things that are really taking the the American church specifically under. Uh, what do you think some of those issues are, Connor? So probably one of the biggest is definitely the denial of the inerrancy of Scripture because obviously if the Bible falls, our faith falls. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, some denominations have refused to fight and just said, yeah, the Bible's you know not inerrant, not infallible. Um, and you see some very negative trends with those denominations. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we see that with the the Methodist Church yeah. right now splitting. Um, I was honestly surprised that they hadn't like split sooner. I guess you know, with yeah. in the '80s when liberalism was on the on the rise. I guess again, you know, it, yeah. it's been. Uh, but um, you know, I'm surprised they're just now kind of splitting and we've seen some of that stuff with the southern baptist convention yeah. as well up to about as far as i know um f- few years ago inerrancy was a huge fight in the southern baptist convention thankfully the idea of inerrancy won out um mm-hmm. and with the, the southern baptist as far as right now they still mm-hmm. stick to it right if that will continue to be the future i don't know with the rise of liberalism Again, in the Southern Baptist Convention, I wouldn't be surprised that turns into a fight. But inerrancy is just such a big deal. Um, 
you see churches like the Angl- the Anglican Church that has left behind the idea of biblical inerrancy. Their denomination is not even Christian anymore, to be honest with you. Mm. It's so far from it. Um, other denominations, I mean, it basically turns into, well, God is what you make of it, especially like the Lutheran Church. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember you Oh, yeah, it's, it's the, the ELCA specifically. I believe the Missouri Synod and the Wisconsin Synod of the Lutheran Church in America is they still believe in the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. But as far as I know, you know, the ELCA, and I've done some research just because I was in that church at one time, and they started debating when I was leaving as a middle schooler um, whether or not to allow homosexual um, pastors and, and, and female. I mean, they've always, I think, as far as I know, as long as I've been alive, have had um, female pastors in that denomination. Um, but, you know, they're, they're starting to let things fall to where they'll even uh, go and worship with um, Islamic um, peoples uh, in mosques and, and tell them that they're yeah. worshiping the same God, um, which I'm, is really yeah. it's sad. You know, that's yeah. the fault. It's not a Christian church anymore if you've uh, essentially told people that Allah and the triune God of the Bible uh, are the same, same. people. They're so, not. No. A- another thing you see with inerrancy is you see a change in um, hermeneutical thought. Instead of having a you know, an, 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 an author determines the meaning. You have a reader uh, right. determines the meaning. And you, you'll read the, the biblical text, you'll be like, well, that might mean that to you, but it means this to me. Obviously, you cannot build a theological system off of that because mm-hmm. it makes everyone pretty much their own authority. Right. Right. Um, I think I think we've kind of gone way off the map with you know like Luther and all the guys in the the Reformation. They wanted to get the Bible to the the people, you know, to be yeah. able to to read it in their own language. And we've almost gone from you know the priests only be able to reading the the Bible in Latin to mm-hmm. uh, almost like we've gotten this idea that we interpret. Um, scripture to mean whatever it means because we've yeah. and and I'm not saying that it's bad that everyone have their own uh, copy of the scripture in their own language because that we should you know yeah, that's that's what it's for yeah. um, but you know people have abused that to where they think that they can treat every Bible verse as if it was a allegory or a parable or yeah. what does this mean to me and that's not how the word of god is intended to be taken it's it's intended to be taken as the the yeah. author meant it to yeah um so and also with the fall of inerrancy you see people thinking well you know paul was just wrong on this issue like mm-hmm. let's take the whole right. or know, it was his op- opinion oh, oh, yeah it was, it, it was, it was right yeah opinion. yeah, yeah. and stuff like well. that i mean obviously if you have the doctrine of biblical inerrancy no that's not the case because the bible does not contradict itself and it is infallible it is inerrant so paul was not wrong mm. but right. I, I think a lot of it not only comes i'll say the root of this issue doesn't really come down to people's like uh, we just don't like the Bible, whatever. I think it comes down to people wanting to do their own thing mm-hmm. and wanting to feel good about themselves and say, well, mm. I want the Bible to agree with me right. so it makes me look good. And like, I, and right. like, I think if that's a lot of the root of the problem. A lot of it's honestly just selfish pride. I agree 100%. Yeah, we, we don't want to admit, you know, when we, we, when we come to the, the Bible, we bring these presuppositions that we've just kind of yeah. made in our mind or been taught in church, and they're usually, you know, just made up human or American garbage and um, we really when we see something in scripture we disagree with 
uh, we're the problem. It's not the scripture, and the, the yeah. scriptures do not need to be changed. Um, they're eternally uh, sufficient, yeah. you know, and uh, that that's definitely an issue in church today. And as one of our professors says uh, in the Christian studies department at the school we're at, that people a lot of times look at Jesus's words and read, you know, yeah. and they say, oh, okay, Jesus um, never said anything about homosexuality or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, so then it's okay. You know, Jesus' word overrides, overrides Paul's word. But I mean, the, the Bible is the word of God. It is all proceeded yeah. from the the yeah. mouth of God Theonoustos you know God breathed okay yeah my Greek scholar yeah. over here he's much better at Greek than I am <laughs> Connor knows Greek and Hebrew very uh, very well but uh decently well but, it, but I mean that means it's it's proceeded from the mouth of oh, God oh yeah yeah it, right. it, it, exactly. it literally means God breathed yes yeah um that's something we all need to remember um I mean like every single word in scripture is important and we have to to our best of our abilities, come to Scripture and throw aside our own presuppositions and say, what is the Scripture saying? What is God trying to tell me? Because God doesn't speak to us through revelations or anything like that anymore. He, he speaks to us through Christ, and but also through the Bible. Right. The Bible is so important because that is how we learn as we, and, and how we grow as Christians and how God speaks to us today. Right. And that's something that a lot of people have forgotten. Absolutely. I heard, uh, I, I can't exactly remember who it was. Uh, I believe it was uh, Stephen Charnock, I believe, um, mm -hmm. a, a Puritan. Yeah. And he said, you know, anything, I, I believe it is, don't, don't quote me on that, um, that he said it, but... I believe he said that anything, you know, that's added to the scriptures or that any revelation that people have um, today, if it agrees with the scripture, then it's unnecessary. And if it disagrees, then it's heresy. Yeah. You know, so there's there's after we have the canon of scripture, you know, there's no point for these divine revelations anymore. Yeah. And uh, that's, you know, that's what we're our other topic to talk yeah. about today is the, the charismatic movement and um you know, some of their views on things and how that's really a danger to the inerrancy yeah. of Scripture. And how to clarify this, um, not every single charismatic is unorthodox. Uh, sometimes people uh, automatically attack um, charismatic theology as completely wrong. And even though I, I don't think me and you would agree with pretty much any of it, mm -hmm. they, you can still be orthodox. I do, right. But I do believe you are heading down a dangerous path because... Especially if you affirm the gift of speaking in tongues, you have to affirm that as, that is directly from God, it's God himself. Mm. And that is getting very dangerously close to denying the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, you know, that, um, that this whole charismatic movement uh, brings an attack to the Scriptures because it's almost like, you know, they're not finished because these yeah. people are saying that they're, um, receiving prophecies yeah. from God and, and things as, as such. And, you know, that's that's just yeah. heresy, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think another thing that's kind of um, sucking in Americans as well are all these, like, I went to heaven stories yeah. and oh, whatnot. Yeah. And you don't yeah. know, like, you don't heaven know what to real. believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, um, garbage movie, by the way. Oh, I haven't seen it's it. But, <laughs> but, but I know, I, I mean, the, the common evangelical today yeah. is reading these things yeah. and believing them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we literally have God's word and we can take that as solid. We yeah. don't have to, um, you know, we don't need these stories from mm. 
other people outside the Bible to affirm the truths of Scripture. You yeah. know, we, it's unnecessary. Um, and if, you know, one of them was real, that's great. But, I mean, it's unnecessary. Yeah. We don't need, like, you, if you're just now figuring out that heaven is for real from hearing this story, then you've yet to believe the Bible. Yeah. You know, you've, yeah. you've yet to be regenerated, yeah. honestly. Oh, that's going along with the charismatic movement, I think a lot of it is too, is that people put their own personal experiences over the scripture and over the, honestly, just facts in general. I mean, I don't mean to quote Ben Shapiro, you know, but facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> but, Connor, but, but, Connor gets uh, joked with that he sounds like Ben, ben Shapiro. Shapiro yeah, time. and you guys call me a lawyer. Yeah, he does. He, he's he's the lawyer of, of theologians over uh-huh. here. <laughs> Real funny. But, <laughs> but anyway, like my whole point is, I think a lot of it is people are, you know, I felt God's experience here. I don't really like, I don't want to say they don't care about scripture, but it's like that their personal experiences of them speaking in tongues or mm-hmm. them being slain in the spirit is like above scripture. I mean, right. I, I mean, me, me and you, we're, we're both reading Grudem's uh, systematic theology right. and that whole paragraph, you know, you know, being slain in the spirit, even though it doesn't appear in scripture, right. you know, yeah. And if it doesn't appear in, in scripture, scripture, then what, like, yeah. What is it? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now, that that same argument can be made for the Trinity, but the thing is the Trinity is, is revealed in oh, Scripture. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, too, uh, but the whole idea... Yeah, there's no... I mean, and we've talked about this, and yeah. uh, I think John MacArthur was the one who I had originally heard say it, but mm-hmm. one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Yeah, yeah. And so I've never seen in the Scripture where anyone falls on the ground and uncontrollably convulses. Yeah. You I'm, know what I'm I saying? I mean, the word in Hebrew, whenever it talks about them falling in the face of God and, and as Grudem brings this up, you know, like you see people falling in the face of God, right? But it literally means to fall down or to prostrate. Right. I would, if I mean, if we, if you are yeah. in the presence of glory, then yeah. you will fall down and you will worship. Yeah. But nowhere, I mean, I don't see why you would convulse. I think no. I think so many of these things that these people are uh, these these charismatic peoples are doing, they want to have an experience with the Holy yeah. Spirit that's greater than others. It's yeah. like. As uh, my grandfather once said, they want to be higher on the totem pole of the Christian faith. And, you know, they see these certain gifts uh, in Acts and they try to pervert them and then like just to be higher up. Well, it's the the same thing the church church in Corinth was doing. And Paul was Mm -hmm. telling them, you know, in First Corinthians, you know, like speaking in tongues is really not, not that great of a gift. It's love. Love mm. is the gift that's mm. really, like, sought after and, and you know, and is really important. Mm. And I think you see a lot of that because a lot of people are like, oh, you're a Christian, but, you know, I speak in tongues. I have a personal right. prayer language. And, and, you know, I see so many um, people who say they have these these gifts and things, yeah. but they're really not even, like, living out their faith no. in any other yeah. way. They don't have this love yeah. that's talked about or these other fruits of the yeah. Spirit, but they claim to go to church on Sunday mm. and speak in tongues or uh, I've heard... Um, from numerous occasions, someone saying they went and healed someone. Oh yeah. And um, and and when they're and that was like on a mission trip. And when they're yeah. home, they're they're not doing anything. Um, yeah. You know, bearing fruit and things yeah. like that. So. Um. When I read Strange Fire by John MacArthur, um, if for those not familiar, Strange Fire is a book written by John MacArthur, basically exposing the charismatic movement. It's a great mm-hmm. book. I really recommend it. But he goes into detail. He's talking about how all these leaders in the charismatic church, and especially the prosperity gospel, are caught in adulteries or are caught like money laundering or just doing this just 
immoral and like unethical stuff and mm-hmm. he brings up the point if you are truly having this experiences with the holy spirit shouldn't you be holier than everybody mm-hmm. like shouldn't you yeah. be the one setting an example right. but they're not they're consistently setting a bad example mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. yeah that's that's definitely one of the things plaguing the church and and if anyone listening to this also is not familiar um with like the charismatic movement or what that is it's usually uh they they do these things which which would be speaking in tongues uh they believe that people have the gift of prophecy as well yeah. and healing um and they believe that these gifts certain spiritual gifts continued um after pentecost uh, mm-hmm. whereas i believe connor and i are both a cessationist yes uh, you are a full cessationist as well or I would say that the gifts like, um, what is it, like discernment and stuff like mm-hmm. that probably still continue right. because right. I don't think, I mean, from my last reading of Corinthians, I don't remember Paul saying anything about them stopping, but I am definitely a, a cessationist right. when it comes to tongues. Right, yeah, like I, I would tend yeah. to believe, you know, and when we say this word cessationist, uh, at least in the terms that I'm speaking of it right now, mm-hmm. would be that I believe that um, speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy, and the gift of healing served yes. as launching pads yes. for the gospel and are no longer needed yeah. now that we have God's Word and it's available printed in many different oh, yeah. languages. Um, especially, I, I've, I love this argument. James White makes the argument that you see the, the miracles and the gifts kind of slow down and acts as the gospel is spread mm-hmm. and you see them pretty much only appear whenever they're in a new area mm-hmm. and it's kind of like and the idea from what i understand even from historical the historical uh, perspective of the church mm-hmm. is these gifts like kind of served as like signs and wonders like hey the gospel is true like this is here like it, it would kind of like cause the people to wonder and you know like and they would you know be open to to the, the gospel and stuff like that mm-hmm. and i mean Right, and I mean, he makes the argument that as the book of Acts goes on, the gifts start to to become less and less prevalent. Mm-hmm. And then, from my last reading right. of Acts, I definitely picked up on that. Right, and I'm not saying that God could not bring oh, these yes. gifts back, yeah. um, but I feel like specifically the gift of, of prophecy is unnecessary because oh, of yeah. because of His Word and yeah. that we have it. You know, um, especially since the, the closing of the canon. Right. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean we I mean there's a reason these gifts disappeared for thousands of years and didn't really appear until really the the beginning of the Mormon church. <laughs> like they appeared for a short time, yeah. disappeared, and then you have it all appear was I think it was like 1915, 1916 with the mm-hmm. beginning of the Pentecostal movement. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of it's kind of sketchy right there. Right. But um especially yeah. with the It's very sketchy that only, you know, a certain denomination of Christianity yeah. is doing this. You yeah. know, it's not like uh, well, I mean, a few certain denominations, yeah. but it's not like the, you know, a lot of mainline yeah. denominations yeah. are are having these mm-hmm. gifts come upon them. Uh, and also, I think, you know, specifically speaking mm-hmm. in tongues is misunderstood oh, as to what it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's not um, speaking an angelic language no, where people all. are like, uh, if you... Pray this. I've, I heard this on YouTube. A girl said that if you speak in tongues, Satan cannot understand yeah. you. Yeah, Caleb God showed, showed me that video. Right. And I was like, that's crazy. Right. It, was like, well, it was what, like an eight-year-old girl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. younger, who was, who was preaching, I say, yeah. with air quotes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, that's that's definitely a big misunderstanding. And I feel like so many of these people have just been raised in that, yeah. you know, and, and I think it's important yeah. that we, uh, we realize that a lot of the views we've been taught, especially in America do yeah. not come from the Bible, yeah. but are really from, from dispensationalism yeah. a lot of times yeah. and other just, yeah. even Greek mythology oh, is, yeah. is yeah. um, 
swept into the church as oh, yeah. well, you know. It's crazy. Um, you see a lot of Gnostic thought. But to build on um, what you said, uh, a lot of people have a misunderstanding of what tongues is, so I, th- I think it'd be helpful to explain what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, tongues have been misunderstood. A lot of it becomes a tra- because of the translation. Um, back in the day, if we were to say speaking in tongues, people would have, would, have, would have understood that as speaking in different languages. But that isn't the terminology we use anymore. Um so whenever we come across the word uh, glossa is the Greek word here, mm-hmm. it literally means a foreign language. It, it, that's what the word means. So I always make the argument whenever we translate, I think we should translate them as speaking in languages. In fact, the HCSB actually did this, received um, a lot of criticism from the, the, the Pentecostal um, movement and the charismatic movement in general. And in the CSB, they've they've rendered it speaking in um, tongues again. But I always make the argument: I think speaking in, in languages is a far better mm-hmm. um, under far better understanding or better translation of this word because that's what the word uh, li- literally means. Ugh, can't talk. And also, if you see it in Acts, uh, it's very clear from the context that, that the people are speaking legitimate foreign languages because foreigners are around, you know, and they're in amazement. They're saying these, you know, these uneducated fishermen. Are speaking our languages so it's very clear mm-hmm. um because like and the gift's purpose was you go to some foreign language god would give you the miraculous ability to, to speak this foreign language and you know and, you, and you'd be able to witness to them like, like that is what it was for now i also want to be very clear too i don't want to put god in a box because you know as dr right, murray says right. never put god in a box mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it, it would be incredibly unlikely and and, and almost almost like it's just not going to happen but I'm not going to say that God could not give you the gift for a short time. Mm-hmm. Let's say you go to some unreached tribe in South right. America or, or mm-hmm. and, and like something like that. God could possibly give you this this, right. this just abnormal, just crazy right. gift, and you could and yes. you could see it. But yes. we but as a whole and like and yeah, and, like I, what what yeah. would be the point in an American church, you know, yeah. in uh, in Podunk. Uh, Wherever you, you know, know, good old and, pick in South Carolina. Yeah, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere down in South Carolina or somewhere like that. What would be the point of someone having this gift and then speaking where no one understands? You know, yeah. if the, I mean, if there's like foreign people in the church or something yeah. like that. But there's, you know, this is all. You know, everybody's probably a church of like thirty people. Half of them are family. You know. Why in the world would that gift be needed? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. At, uh, as a prospering of yeah. the gospel when these people are speaking English. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Especially. And especially whenever we have such good English translations. Mm. Like ESV, New American Standard. I mean, heck, HCSB, CSB, they're good translations. Like, why would we right. need this gift anymore? Right. Absolutely. Another aspect of the charismatic movement has really unfortunately picked up is the prosperity gospel. Oh, yeah. yeah. Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, you know, Stephen the, Furtick, yeah. um, good old Joel Stein. Right, right. Um, the problem with this is, of course, I mean, you know, it's the whole health, wealth. You know, you praise God, you give me a million dollars or a thousand dollars, God will bless you. Right. And that's consistently not the case, especially if you read the life of Paul. Oh, yeah. I mean, this man was was beaten and was thrown into prison. I mean, he mm. lived a life of agony. Right. But he was still happy because right. like, he served God. And, uh, you know, the, the probably one of the most um, taken out of context verses of scripture is Philippians 4.13. I was just reading through Philippians yesterday, you know, and uh, people use that for for sports and whatnot, but, you know, Paul, I believe Paul wrote Philippians when he was in prison, was he? Did he not? Right, exactly. And so, I mean, that's not talking about I can win this football game, you know what I'm saying? Um, You know, it's great to pray before your football games and and Mm -hmm. trust in the Lord, but, I mean, there are 
that's not what matters. Yeah. You know, football is is not what God is interested in. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Th- I do not believe. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm pretty so. sure God doesn't care if the Patriots win the the Super Bowl or who, or whoever. I don't, I don't right. think He cares. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I I agree. The the Forty Niners or the. Uh, it's the uh, the Boston Red Sox, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We are not, we are not into, or at least I'm not that into yeah, sports. Not so, it's, I have other uh, friends for that. But I mean, I, I enjoy watching the games. But yeah. you know, and uh, we see a lot of these these people on on TV, like Dabo Sweeney. You know, yeah. he'll get on there and and uh, you know he, he talks about his faith. Yeah. Um, but I believe that most of the Clemson football team goes to New Spring as well, which yeah. is kind of a an iffy, yeah. iffy place. And uh, please don't think that we are trying to say that, you know, sports is not somewhere to, to put a Bible verse. No, right. no, it's, it, it's no, a, it's a it can ministry. serve as a yeah. great place to, um, you know, to, to preach the word and share the gospel as long yeah. as you do it within its context. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not about uh, winning this, this game, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's yeah. that because, you know, the both teams are, are you know, probably praying the same prayer, yeah. you know, let me, let me win. win you know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's not like we have, uh, two armies going against, uh, against each other and one's representing the Lord, Lord and one's yeah. not, you know yeah. what I'm saying? It's, yeah. uh, so I saw one time it was a, it was a Babylon B article, um, with John Piper on the front yeah. of it. And it says, John Piper narrates world series. And it said like in quotes, None of this will continue into eternity, is what John Piper <laughs> I mean, said. And he's I, not wrong. I know. That I thought it was. Now, I mean, sports are a great thing to enjoy, yeah. though, and we're in no way bashing sports, but uh, yeah. we're just trying to say that scripture should be used in its correct context. context and, yeah. you know, like with the prosperity gospel movement, yeah. that's something that's really been obliterated. Yeah. Uh, well, the prosperity gospel, I think, is such a large topic. I, th- I think we could spend a whole other podcast. Oh, on yeah, this. absolutely. And we but, should for sure. Yeah, definitely. But I was kind of thinking about, you know, using Philippians 413 and saying out of context, probably one of the another major issue facing the church is it just the biblical illiteracy of just the average Christian? The average Christian just does not know what the Bible teaches, mm. and they don't read it, and they don't right. know how. They're to not read interested, it. Yeah. and that's what's sad. Yeah. Is you know our um, our forefathers in the Reformation, mm-hmm. they wanted the Bible to get to every single person so that yeah. they could read it. Um, you know, and that's what Rome did not want to happen. Yeah. And now today, the the evangelical church as a whole has rejected it. You know, yeah. they they don't even read their Bibles. They sit on the shelves, gathering dust. And people want a revelation from God. They want to hear the audible voice of God. When all they have to do is go take their Bible off the shelf and read it aloud. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's uh, it's just sad. You know, I think yeah. I think the reformers would be be sickened yeah, by that. Is. And to be fair, a lot of this is our pastor's fault. Mm. And it's not saying that all pastors are bad, but it's just a lot of times we just don't teach our congregation. Pastors get up and they preach a sermon. It might be great, but they never teach them how to read the Bible or like or, or how to understand it, especially in the Baptist denomination. It's like we bring our own traditions onto the Scripture. Mm. And that's not saying that you can't read the Bible and come to, to the Baptist position, but what I am saying is they might even have decent doctrine but they don't know where and and how the right, bible teaches exactly. it but it's because you exactly. know my mom said that we're saved by jesus yeah, so yeah. i guess we we're saved by jesus yeah. and it's like they don't care to right. read and, and we've read. we've forgotten as well mm-hmm. creeds and confessions oh, yeah. you know and i yeah. think i think it's important to go to churches that recite creeds and and have a confession as the 
you know, as the stronghold. I'm a big fan of the Westminster Confession and Catechisms, obviously, yeah. as someone who is a a now Presbyterian. Um, but the 1689, the 1689 is wonderful as yeah. well. You know, um, I think the the Baptist faith and message is pretty pretty poor and yes, broad. it's not great. Um, you know, if you can fit it in a pamphlet. Yeah. then it's probably uh, not that solid, you know? So. I, I, I love that meme where it has the Westminster Confession, the London Baptist Confession of 1689. It's like, and then it's like... It's, it's, oh, it's like the yeah, three-headed the, dragon. Yeah, the dragon. And it's like, like the Baptist faith, faith and message, and the other two dragons are just looking at like, dude, you're dumb. Right. Well, the thing is, you know, with the... the and we're getting off on another, like, subject here, yeah. but the, the Southern Baptist Convention, with using the Baptist faith and message, it's such a broad thing that you have all different types of churches oh, yeah within the convention and that's you know that's tough sometimes yeah um, i'll say w- well. one last thing before we try to get back on topic but um for example like when you go to a southern baptist church you're you kind of have like entered the lottery like you know okay they're probably going to affirm you know salvation by you know faith alone and credo baptism pretty much everything else is besides maybe the the the, the form of government even that's not even consistent i mean it it's up in the air. I mean, who knows what they believe? And it's just when when you see the PCA or the PCUSA or mm-hmm. the, like you know the Methodist. Well, I guess it used to be the Methodist United Methodist. Yeah, I think they're going to um, be. I don't know what they're going to call. It. I know the 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 more conservative group is going to be like the traditionalist Methodist. Yeah. I believe. I don't know what yeah. they're going to call the other one because it's not United, United anymore. <laughs> yeah, but 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 at least with one of those churches, you know exactly what what you're getting into. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's what's so great about, about creeds and confessions. And yeah. um, you know, I did. I obviously didn't grow up. Well, I know the the Lutherans use the uh, I believe the Augsburg Confession, yes. and I've read a little bit of it. It's not it's not a Reformed confession because it really follows. Um, Melanchthon's Philip Melanchthon's um, views on election, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I haven't looked into it a ton, but I know that the the Lutherans really go more with Philip Melanchthon than yeah. Luther himself, who was a a huge um, proponent of monergistic soteriology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, even and he wrote even more on election and than, even Calvin than right, uh, yeah. which a lot of people miss. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's so important to really know what your the church you go to believes, and that you should you should really read the scriptures yeah. and not take you know grandpappy's word for it. Or, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because you know it's like especially um, one of the big things that I think it's thing it's like a whole, a whole alcohol thing. Oh yeah, it, um, you know I've always heard from my pastor it's um, you know it's wrong. To, to drink alcohol. I mean, I'll never forget. I was talking to a girl, um, she, who's a Baptist, and she was talking to me about theology, and she mentioned that she believed it was wrong to drink alcohol. And I asked her, I said, you know, is it because you were taught that it was wrong to drink alcohol, mm-hmm. or is that a, a conclusion you you've come to? And she said, well, never looked into it, but that's just what I was told. And that's not exactly a bad thing as long as it's the right form of teaching. But it's one of those things that we should look for the Bible, and you should always come to it with an understanding that I may be wrong. Here. Right, right. Like, you should be like, willing yeah. to change based on scripture. You should yeah. be malleable. Um and and I think, you know, when Connor and I and I have talked to many people about the reformed view specifically mm-hmm. of salvation, you know, mm-hmm. um many people say I refuse to believe that God yeah. would be this yeah. way. Well, you know, if you read the Bible, especially then, Romans 9 where right. it hits you yeah, in the yeah. Face. and that's yeah. it, you know, people say uh, I refuse to believe I, I mean, I've heard 
a lot of, uh, I mean, I love my Armenian brothers. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I've heard them say, you know, I don't believe that God, I, and this is this is verbatim, I don't believe that God would create anyone to send them to yeah. hell. But that's, that's a universalist statement because, yeah. you know, God has created, whether or not you yeah. hold the Reformed view or not, that God has created people to go to hell yeah, because exactly. they're not everyone's going to yeah. heaven. So. That's the point I always bring up, too, because I'm just like, so if you say that you can't believe that a God could create people that are not going to accept him, I'm just like, your theological view doesn't escape that that problem either because you believe that even though God is sovereign, well, they say that they believe that God's sovereign. Right. Uh, well, um, we'd have to examine their view of yeah, what sovereign, sovereign means. means. I believe they think that man is sovereign, sovereign. not God, but... <laughs> But that's another. Yeah. Topic. But they um they'll they'll say you know like well God knows who, who's going to who's going to choose God and who is not going to choose God and I'm just like well if that's the case why did God create them in the first place because he'd like well Joe over here is not going to accept God might as well go ahead and make him like you don't right. escape that right. problem now mm. in Reformed theology we have an answer to it it's for God's glory mm. I mean 100 mm. percent yeah I mean um you know it says could God not um create vessels mm-hmm. of wrath um, yeah. to, to, you know, show his justice, you know, but mm-hmm. then he shows mercy on mm-hmm. these vessels of mercy, you know, and, yeah. and we have as the vessels of mercy or as God's elect or remnant or whatever mm-hmm. word you want to use, we experience the, you know, the full grace of yeah. God. And as R.C. Sproul said, which I think was so, so well put, as he says, the unelect get justice, the elect get grace, but no one receives injustice. And God would have been just as glorified um, if he just struck humanity down. You know, if, yeah. he, if he just wiped the world um, after, after the fall, you know, God could have just wiped it clean and, and started over. Yeah. But instead, he chose to, to save his people. And he's ensured by the cross of Calvary that mm-hmm. those whom he loved will receive him. Yeah. You know? um, the the Arminian view um, does not hold that really anyone will be is indefinitely mm-hmm. saved. You know they believe that God's made it possible, but that Calvary really did not purchase anything. You know no. it didn't purchase yeah. people. It just basically purchased savability. Yeah, I mean know? like it's basically like God got the ability to say to, like, to give you the option, and it's just like He really didn't do anything because right. like in the Arminian viewpoint. You pretty much saved yourself. It's it's yeah. it's, 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 it's Pelagianism yeah. in disguise. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why the reformers thought Arminius was going back to the Roman Catholic theology. Right. I mean, because like in their viewpoint, it's like you're drowning, and someone is just just holds out their hand to you, and you reach up and grab it. In a mm. sense, you kind of save yourself. Yeah. Um. Well, that's that's a, another thing that I saw. I think it was in. We just recently watched the Calvinist movie. I really recommend it, by the way. Great. Right. Do- it's phenomenal. Yeah. But um, you know, they showed. I think I think it was in that movie, or I've seen a diagram of this, or whatever. Yeah. But you know, it shows that the Armenian view is, you know, you God throws in a life raft, and you're yeah. floating on the surface, and you grab it. But the the reformed view, or the biblical view, yeah. is that you are on the ocean floor. And you have basically drowned, and God has got to swim down there and pick you up and bring you to the surface yeah. because a dead man cannot raise himself oh, yeah. from the dead. And the, and that's where we know when Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sin, he doesn't mean physically dead, but he means like spiritually dead. Mm. You were not able to mm. in any way, shape, or form except right. God, except for the drawing of the mm. Holy Spirit. And um, that makes you all the more humble to realize, yeah. you know, 
and I know for a fact if we're if we're honest with ourselves, we know that all we would choose is sin. Oh yeah. Forever. If we're when we're left in in our will or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, you know, our our want to what yeah. we want to do is bound to sin. Oh, you know, yeah. we're slaves to yeah. sin is the Bible. I mean, the it. process of sanctification is still ongoing. I mean, to think about the idea that you know, we are currently as we're speaking, the Holy Spirit is still sanctifying us and, you know, like giving us the ability with God's help to do good works. And I guess that's probably the best way to put it, but to, to be able to do good, I right. mean, if, right. that doesn't come from us naturally. No, no, and when we, when, you know, I hear a lot of people say, um, when talking about total depravity and things yeah. like that, um, that people are capable of doing these good works, you know, like, mm-hmm. but just like even atheists, you yeah. know, they go do good things. But the matter of fact is, is they're doing it for their own glory because yeah. they're not doing it for the yeah. glory of and God. Like, and the point I was about to make, I was like, even if we're being saved, if we still struggled so heavily with sin, I don't think it's wise to say, well, you know, even before we were saved, you know, and God saved us, that we were still able to choose good because, because like, I'm, I mean, like me looking back, I'm like, if I'm still struggle with sin this much and, yeah. and, and I not slave, and like, yeah. slave is not a, you're okay. So if we look at the word slave, being a slave Delos. to sin, that means that you are literally bound oh, yeah. to it. And we're not saying you are a worker uh, mm-hmm. for sin where you can quit yeah. your job you know yeah, what I'm saying yeah. stop but it the bible says you're a slave right. and you yep. can't run away from that no. you know you will you just can't you, someone has yeah. to free you you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah and i mean like going back to the whole point too i mean like before we were saved i mean like with me still being saved and still str- struggling with sin i mean it's like 20 times worse i mean it's impossible for me to do good before i had the holy spirit mm. to sanctify me i mean like right. and I, and I just don't see how that can add up is like yeah like the holy spirit has has to has to continuously sanctify you but before I, I was like even before the holy spirit had had entered into me I was still able to do good that just doesn't make any sense to me especially with the doctrine of original mm. sin but mm. that's yeah. a long and, and even you know the holy spirit is uh, the neglected person of the trinity oh, um you know people people just forget yeah. you know and uh, that's something that's really been prevalent. Oh, yeah. I think I've been hearing, you know, I heard somebody tell me that they talked to someone who said the whole, the Holy Spirit really doesn't matter that oh, much. No, but if you look at the scriptures no. and see how much the Holy Spirit has been responsible for, oh, yeah. then what, I mean, that's, that's just a, yeah. a horrible, yeah. horrible. I mean, each member make. of the Trinity plays a role in salvation. Right. I mean, every single one of them. Um, and they're co-equal, yeah. you know, and yeah. that's what people miss as well. Yeah. All right, to get back just trying to get back on topic and we'll probably need to wrap, wrap this up, up pretty soon. Yeah. Um but just general with the, the general just biblical illiteracy that we're seeing um just people just basically bringing in their own traditions on scripture and just refusing mm. to let the Bible speak for itself. And mm. I mean, it's just really sad, but um there are ways to fix it. That that would be like a whole other long discussion Hold though me. and next time. That might be a future topic. But um, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Yeah, the the Daily Reformation, Reformation. Or, or Reformation Daily. Yeah. We haven't really we decided we, Yeah, yet, we haven't but... made it solidified, but uh, I'm Wilson. And, and I'm Connor. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, we'll see you next time.